Hey there, you're listening to Those Real Estate Brothers Podcast, where Joseph and Jared share what they know in real estate and all things local, including local restaurants, businesses, and cool stuff. Which brother is more interesting? Well, you're about to find out. All right, welcome back. We got Joel here. What's up, Joel? How you doing, guys? Thanks What's for having up? me. So on that intro, we said, and cool things. So you fit in that category of cool things. There you go. Uh, Joe, you want to do the grand introduction of our guest? Joel Blitzer uh, from Brooks Waterburn Insurance. What's your role there besides one of the owners? I am the uh, vice president. I do uh, most of the marketing, new business, uh, public relations, um, pretty much everything. Train the staff, make sure the staff's doing their jobs, make sure we're in compliance, um, deal with the carriers. Um, everything. Pretty much everything. Like my father says, the uh, chief cook and bottle washer. Take care of the building. And you were the uh, business person of the year with the Farmdale Chamber of Commerce. Now it's yeah. a county council of chambers, actually. I wow. Am. So you didn't have too pull. much. Did you pull. have some pull? Did you pull for him? Well, they choose one for each town. So Joe had some pull by his name. They spelt everything <laughs> Joe instead of Joel on every plaque. You know, it's funny because I saw the plaque in the garbage yesterday. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, look at it. And I said, oh, the spelling's wrong. Every, every single thing had Joe. So they were obviously thinking about Joe Garcia, not Joel Blitzer, when they were printing everything. So besides that, what else? Uh, board of Directors for the Farmingdale Chamber. I think you run a club of some sort, too. Um, board of Directors for the Chamber. Membership Committee. Uh, very successful comedy night the last two years. That's uh, um, the premier event in the whole town, isn't premier it? Premier event. We sold out the last two years. We're going to try to uh, expand it a little bit next year with some more people. I'm still yet to go. You're missing out a lot. We've had some great comics, um, national comics. At Chris Roach last year, uh-huh. uh, Carrie Carvalho, who does a ton of stuff at Governors and all over the place. Very funny lady. Uh, she always brings a couple of uh, up-and-comers. So eventually maybe we'll see them on TV or um, TV series, just like Chris. Not really a club. Facebook group for uh, New Ford Bronco which uh, Jared is a proud owner of also. That's right. Um, very uh, select group on Long Island right now. Uh, if you know anything about the Bronco, very tough getting one, tough production issues, um, people paying a lot of money for them, but it's a great truck. It's fun. And um, it's a future classic car as far as I'm concerned. I think so. I said I'm going to take good care of it, and it might be my son's first car who's, uh, who's seven right now. Exactly what I told my wife. It's uh, give it to her grand- grandkids one day. It's the first car I actually bought in a long time rather than at least – because I know I'm not going to want to get rid of it. What appealed to you about that? Because that's the first car in a while where owning one is part of your personality again. Yeah, well, Ford is trying to make Bronco the lifestyle brand. I mean, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, these were really cool cars, cool trucks. You know, not high tech, but people took them off-road, took them on the beach. Just a fun car. Uh, most of the old ones don't even have tops, mm. um, which would be great if we lived in a place where we didn't need that. It was popular in the 90s. I think a white one was pretty popular. Very popular in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it was very made popular. Who's the fun. guy who owned that uh, that one? Uh, I think his name is OJ. OJ. No, it was OJ's it was, friend. It was, Al, it was actually uh, Al Cummings' uh, right. Bronco. Um, and uh, many people with white Broncos now have very funny license plates. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I have a white Bronco. I've, and, I've, uh, seen, I've seen not OJ. I've seen all sorts of OJ type of license plates on white Broncos. When I got it, I said I was going to do something for Halloween, but I never did. I, I actually met someone at the Bronco off-rodeo. Um, he took a white Bronco. He said my wife wouldn't let me get a white Bronco because, true story, our last name is Simpson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a little interesting. And it wouldn't go over well. Uh, but we both have soft tops. I think that's the greatest part of the Bronco. Yeah, I, it's funny. I originally ordered the hard top, um, and I was going to buy the soft top separately. Um, but as everyone knows, who knows the Bronco, the production issues were very tough on the plastic top. So I'm glad I got the soft top. No regrets. I've always driven soft top cars. Um, so my wife never actually understood why I was getting the hard top. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. My, yeah. top, my top is down all the time. It is. I see you around. All, all the time. Yeah. If 
I didn't have to keep it on, I would just I would have it off all the I time. think I have a bunch there somewhere, but uh, yeah. I'm not going to try to find it. Yeah. So you asked why I went to Bronco. So I had BMWs, horrendous tires, low profile. I probably went through six tires a winter on the mm. roads. Um, ironically, when I got to Bronco, now all the roads are paved this year, as we know, this <laughs> summer. All the, all the, all the Election year. Major thoroughfares, uh, they're paved about time. Um, but I was going to get a Jeep. I just thought I wanted to go on the beach, wanted to go off-road. Just, you know, my kids are out of the house. They don't need back seats. Um, but then I saw the Bronco, and I, I just I reserved the day I saw it. I just fell in love with it. And my wife actually said, what if you don't like it when you get it? But I proved her Turns wrong. out you could have made some money if you didn't like it. Right. So now she thinks I like the Bronco better than her. So. The, uh, don't answer I, that. I think it's about lifestyle, too, right? The, the freedom. Like, when you're 17, you first get your car, 18. You know, all of a sudden, you have this newfound freedom. Living on Long Island, we get snow. You want to go out. You don't want to be locked in the house alone, you know, and, and, and you want to go out to the beach and you get to drive on the beach. So it right. gives so, you some freedom to right. do what so you want. So the majority of Long Islanders don't know we have these great beaches that you can't see. Um, to the, to the um, west of Robert Moses, in between Jones Beach and, and Robert Moses, there's Democrat, there's Gilgo, there's uh, Saw Thumb. And they're all fishing beaches. We go fishing there. Um, but you can only get there by 4x4. Four by four, and it's spectacular. Even better, out east, Smith's Point. Uh, us to me that grew up in Eastern Suffolk, that's where we went to the beach. Um, you go to the end of the parking lot and you can drive almost three miles east on the beach. Mm. You put the palm trees out there, you just think you're in the Caribbean, you forget you're all on the island. It's just, it's beautiful. That's pretty cool. It's beautiful. And then you can actually drive out in the Hamptons, you can drive to Montauk around the lighthouse. It's just, Plenty of places you can drive off-road along Long Island if you have these cars. It gives you access to some of the best beaches in the world that nobody knows about and probably are more exclusive than some of those beaches in the Hamptons. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even like um, Cupsock Beach in at the end of Dune Road, in the winter, the seals. I mean, mm. how many people on Long Island know we have seals on Long Island? Um, you can walk there. It's a nice walk. But when you can drive there, it's even better. And you guys love to say air down, right? That's the have big to, thing. you got to air, air down. Air down on the beaches, protect the beaches, clean the beaches. Um, couple, a lot of the beach clubs, Long Island Beach Buggy and the Long Island um, Beach Club has cleanup days every year. And the massive amounts of trash that is pulled off the beach on a few hours is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, so air down, downing isn't just for not getting stuck. It also protects the, the sand and the it beaches? Protect, yeah. So if you see the data, you know, when you drive on the car, you know, let's say it's three inches. When you air down, it goes to, you know, it can go as much as 12 inches depending on your tires. So the more surface area, you know, doesn't compress and doesn't fill the ruts in, mm-hmm. and it's safe for everybody. I mean, you have ruts on the beach at night, and you have people driving, and, you know, water fills in the ruts, you can end up, you know, ditching your truck, right. basically. There's a lot of um, people that don't follow the rules. So there's people that get stuck because they have an <laughs> all-wheel drive car. So it's always fun to see the Tesla stuck at the entrance or the BMW with the dumb kid who thinks they can actually drive on the beach. I know somebody that has been doing this his whole life. And basically says, if it looks like they're doing the right thing, I'll help them. But if it looks Correct. like they, they're, you know, not doing the right thing, not following the rules, uh, they, they go right by them. $750 tow to get off the beach. Oh, really? Minimum charge, yep. I used to love watching videos, YouTube videos, of people backing up their boat trailer. Oh, my God. I could watch that all day <laughs> boat long. Boat ramp fails. If uh, anybody wants to check it out on YouTube after our video here and our podcast. But my new favorite videos this year have been people getting stuck at the four by four beaches and like you said people with low profile tires but the most exciting one is the guy in the dodge ram pickup lifted two feet uh with low profile tires who gets stuck in the beach and the wheels keep spinning and he just gets lower and lower he's those wheels are underground by the time he's done yeah so i've helped people out and the first question have you air down well we only air down the back two tires i'm like why would you only air down the back two tires so I'll help you if you air down the front two tires and you listen to directions. 
and then they go right out. It's amazing, the difference between air up and air down. I guess it's laziness, right? Yeah, and then, I mean, the other common problem, believe it or not, people forget to engage into four-wheel drive. Mm. You know, we have to hit a little switch on our thing. Jeeps have a little knob, it's, but half of them, people that get stuck, they actually forgot to go in the four-wheel drive. So we grew up with boats, ATVs, snowmobiles, and my father would let us basically hook up the trailer, do this, do that. But he had such a checklist, and he was so, I don't want to say judgmental, but very aware if we missed one of the steps. So you mentioned people forgetting to, to hit 4 by 4 I don't think we would ever forget that because that's kind of on our uh, on our radar and not screwing it up. Yeah, you don't forget it until you got a couple kids in the car and they're yelling and screaming, asking for iPads, then all of a sudden <laughs> it's out the window. I mean, some conditions, um, you can drive in two-wheel drive with our trucks if the sand is right, but, you know, it, it hardly ever is, mm-hmm. depending on where you are. If it rained the day before, it's moist. It's so, There's a lot of trucks on the beach. It's very ruddy. Um, but, and, you know, it, it's people do. I'm, I'm sure somebody gets stuck every single day of the week. I think they went to spring break to Daytona 30, 40 years ago, and they, they right. saw people driving on the beach. They think it's the same. But that, right. that sand is like clay almost. Right. I mean, I, it, it compacts. Right. I was just in Tel Aviv, and I was walking on the beach, and I said to my friend who has a Jeep, I said, we can drive on this without airing down. This is like almost like solid, this right. sand. Totally different type of sand. <clears throat> Very interesting. Speaking of which, how was that? Israel is fantastic. It's a it's it's a very misunderstood country. What you see on TV here is not what it is over there. Um, I, I feel like if I went there, I would just I would eat ten meals a day because the food there just looks unbelievable. <laughs> the, the, no, falafel, man, fresh falafel's got to be something special. The, the hummus is like you've never tasted here. Uh, the falafel's terrific. Um, there's no microwaves. There's no freezers. Everything is fresh. Um, the meat is delicious. All grass fed meats from from different places. Um, and yes, you eat all the time. I always say Israelis like to have meals on our way to meals, like get a meal back on the way from the meal. Right. You just, you just feel like you're constantly eating all day long. It's, it's crazy. But you're eating a lot of vegetables and, and smaller of, portions of, of a leaner meat. So you right. could eat more meals. Right. So we, um, the hotels, any hotel you stay at has these massive breakfast buffets, but it's salad, it's dips, it's, you know, smoked fishes. It's, um, crazy amount of different kinds of breads. We from New York think our bread is the best in the world. It is until you go to Israel no. and you taste bread, and no, it's amazing. It's I'll bring you a couple. Stop, stop buying bread at you know King Cullen. I'll it's, bring you somewhere good. It's, it's very, it's, no, it's very strange when you go over there. The bread is good. It's, it's weird. They have all sorts of different breads um, because they need it for the dips. Mm. Um, but you sit down, you know. Well, who makes all the who who makes a lot of the great breads in New York anyway? Yeah, Jewish the Jewish bakers. bakers from from you know yep, yep. Russia and and, and Russian Russian Poland all that Poland, part of the world. Yep. Speaking of which, I need to get some. Jewish rice for tomorrow. By the I way, got the, mine already. By the way, there's a line out the door at Joey's uh, Rainbow Cookie Place. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's a line down the block. Good for them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the food is just fantastic. But breakfast is, you know, salads. They, we have eggs, bacon, and sausage and other junk. They start eating fresh food. And, you know, coffee. Coffee over there is my, my problem because I'm a coffee addict. Mm. So when you ask for a regular coffee at a coffee shop, you get a cappuccino, which is fine. But if you want iced coffee, they give you a slushy, an iced coffee slushy, mm. which is good. So you actually, have to ask for an, you actually have to ask for an American black coffee. You have to be very specific what you order. Um, so it, it's there's coffee shops everywhere. There's food places everywhere. Um, now, when you stay, that's a city. That's a big city. Yeah, so I was, this is a, we, I went to Tel Aviv for three days with my friends before the normal tourist part of the trip because um, we never stayed in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is basically South Beach on steroids. Uh, I think the oldest person in Tel Aviv is 30 years old. <laughs> we, went, we went out at night. We were old men. Um, but it's hopping. The bars, the restaurants, the, the nightlife, the retail. It's, it, and the building is going on crazy. They, um, they call the cranes the national bird of Israel now because <laughs> it's just cranes everywhere. 
Um, and it's an international city. People come from all over the world to, to go there. Hotels are beautiful. The beaches are to die for. And it's clean, very clean. Do you see any Broncos there? There is no Broncos overseas unless they were imported by wealthy people. Which, but you know. I'll show you a picture later. There was a Suzuki that looked like a mini two-door Bronco. It was really nice. Mm. I've seen some of those Suzukis yeah. like in, in other yeah. parts of the country. Yeah, that look pretty cool. Right. When you travel to Europe or Israel or anywhere else, there's so many cars that we don't have here. Right. A lot of po- different type of Peugeots, Mitsubishis, um, Skodas, um, Citroëns, a lot of French cars. Um, but we just don't have them here. So it's actually interesting when you travel. Occasionally, you will see an occasional Jeep in Israel. Israel's a very big 4 by 4 place because of the, uh, the desert. Right. So they actually have a lot of off-roading and camping and that kind of stuff. Um, so you do see Jeeps and some other type of overland vehicles, Mitsubishis and some Land Rovers, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, whenever you travel out of the U.S., everyone has a small car because the roads are not like our roads. The people are a little smaller, too. People are smaller. Just Yeah, they, they eat healthy. They're very active. A lot of, lot of gyms, a lot of running. Um, I mean, whenever you travel, I mean, you see how much healthier people are than the United States. They don't eat the junk we eat. It's totally different. We well, like to consume. We like to consume. Everything. Yes. Whether it's food, whether it's... Yeah. We like to over-consume. Over-consume. We do. But like I said, you're eating meals on a way to meals. It's, it's, you know, crazy. If God uh, wanted us all to be skinny, chicken palm wouldn't be as delicious as it is. Correct. Correct. So uh, you're back from Israel. You go. You do that, though, once a year almost? Is that, is so, that about right? So this was my third trip. The first trip, my daughter was there doing an internship. Um, and my wife and I said, if we don't go visit her, we're not going to see her this summer. So... We just took out the iPad and booked a trip to Israel, not knowing anything about it. Mm. Got a hotel recommendation in Jerusalem, stayed there for 10 days. Um, we walk everywhere. Public transportation was fantastic. Um, she was working during the day, so we did all the tour stuff, you know, Masada, all the normal stuff outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's an interesting city because it's where life started. You know, it's where the first temple was, the first mosque was, the first where Jesus was born. The Muslims and Jews think everything happened in the exact same place, which is interesting. Mm. The Catholics think it happened in Bethlehem a few miles away. But the Church of the Nazareth, where they show on Easter Sunday on TV, is in the old city of Jerusalem. It's all in the same place. So there's four okay. quarters. Jewish, Catholic, Muslim, and uh, Yemenite, Armenian. The smallest part of it. And it's a fascinating place. Because, number one, Israel's only had control of this from the 70s. Jordan right. had it before. So a lot of it is newer. Not new, but rebuilt. And you can see the difference between the four quarters, who takes care of what better. Um, unknown to most people, 99% of the Arabs and the Jews get along great. Right. Um, they live together. They work together. Half of the stores in the old city are owned by Arabs selling Jewish merchandise. Um, there's a very small percentage of people that are terrorists. And they know where they are. There's different neighborhoods. There's different watches. Um, there's checkpoints. In fact, there was a bombing this morning in Jerusalem, which is rare these days, um, by some body that came across, you know, one of the, one of the borders. Um, you actually feel safer in Israel than you feel in New York City. And this is even before the crime wave that happened a year or two ago. Well, there are Republicans in Israel. They don't have them in New York City. <laughs> no, there's, 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 there's six or eight parties at a time in Israel, not just yeah. two. And if they don't like what's happening, they have another election. Right. So it doesn't, you know, it's, it's but at the end of the day, they all get along because they have to protect the land. And that's the difference between the Israel army and our army. We send our kids to fight other people's battles. In Israel, they're protecting themselves. So everyone goes into the army. They have no choice. Mandatory, right? Mandatory, but they want to. They love it. They can't wait to go. It's totally different. Um, and you see off-duty soldiers with their long guns walking around the streets at night or with, with their guns. So you always feel safe. There's mm-hmm. guns everywhere. If something happens, the voluntary ambulance in Israel, there's no 911 system. There's all these different voluntary ambulances. 
6,500 volunteers for one Hatsala, which is the biggest one, average under three-minute response time. Wow. Anywhere in the country. Some, usually around 90 seconds, but they say average three minutes. That's impressive. Because they use e-bikes, they use motorcycles, they use scooters. Um, someone gets to you first before the actual ambulance can get there. So, but somebody's with you within three minutes, no matter what happens where you are. You know that about Europe with all the police because of all the cool movies that they all are on motorcycles. Right. And Israel, there's one police force. There's not, you know, 4,500 different, we have a village, we have the, all these different people. No one talks to each other unless they have to. But there, if there's a police call, everyone gets the same message. And they have these high-speed BMW motorcycles. And they get there in two seconds. Nice. So there's, even though you don't see a cop around sometimes, you know there's eyes on you somewhere. Right. And you just feel safe. When my daughter was there, she was 20. And she could walk across Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the morning with no fear. Nice. No, no issue whatsoever. Who has, which city has better food? It's just, well, Jerusalem is more old, old school. Um, but the foods are similar. The shawarma, the falafel, you can get good food everywhere there. Uh, Tel Aviv is... Not really religious. So if you want non-kosher food, mm-hmm. almost every restaurant in Tel Aviv is non-kosher. Jerusalem, you don't know. that's that. a party town. Right. They don't, they don't Jer- care necessarily. Right. Things are open Saturday night, Shabbos, the whole nine yards. The beach is packed on Saturday. Jerusalem lights out on Shabbos on Friday night. And it's fascinating because it's just quiet and peaceful. And it's really neat because everything's closed. The public transportation shuts down, everything. But Saturday night, when the sun comes back down, someone hits a switch, the disco lights go on, and it's party. It's, wow. Yeah, so Jerusalem is both. It's new and old at the same time. It's really interesting. Where can you get authentic food in New York? Do you have a place? Um, we ha- There's a place called Miriam, which is Israeli food near the Beacon Theater uptown, which isn't bad. Pretty good. They have pretty good shawarma. Um, but no matter how good the falafel or hummus is here, it's just it's different over there. It's, mm-hmm. it's just different. It's fresh, you know. Um, but if you go to Brooklyn, Crown Heights, Borough Park, there's plenty of, you know, Israeli type of place. The closest I ever got was in Washington, D.C. We, we were walking around. The kids are crying. They're hungry. So I see a place that looks like a Greek place. I said, let's go in here. It was Israeli food. So I got this amazing salad with fresh falafel. Right. And the falafel, they have a, a, a funnel above a fryer. And they, like, hit the button and it plops out these little chickpea meatballs into the, into the hot oil. Yeah. That sounds and, like a franchise. And then they come, right it there. probably was, and it comes right out, you know, they scoop it out with like a spider and put it on your salad or sandwich or whatever you got. Yeah, you got to remember, the whole, all the Middle East food, you know, Israel, you know, Lebanon, I mean, all that food all is similar. all similar, yeah. all similar. Everyone just a little, a little twist on what they do, just like the cultures in the United States. Right. Um, but it's just the freshness, because no microwaves, no freezers. It's hard to find that in the U.S. There's a really good Turkish restaurant in Massapequa Park called, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the name, Ephesus or something like that. And uh, it, the food's delicious. It's really good. Yeah, we, so we, we nice go getting to, something different. We go to a Turkish restaurant in San Reach, but there's just there's not that many Turkish restaurants around. Yeah. So if you're in Massapequa, check it out. So insurance, you guys do all types of insurance, business lines, residential lines, cars, boats, trailers, motorcycles, but dry cleaner? Is it dry cleaners or laundromats? We, uh, we, we like to call ourselves generalists, so we do all types of insurance. We do mom and pop companies up to the small public company, everything in between. Um, we'll give a shout out. We get our business insurance with you. Yeah, business, uh, business insurance is our forte. We've been doing it for 100 years. Um, the client have changed. We used to do a lot of manufacturers, which became you know building owners or landlords or something else in the building. Um, which was a real lucrative for the guys that weren't stubborn. Right. You know, the guys that we have some old clients, you look at them now, I'm like, why didn't you take that CVS offer for that corner property? You know, something was always coming better. They have no kids in the business. Um, It's very old school manufacturing, you know, metal parts, machine shops. 
and there's just no one, no second generation. And we see that a lot. Or we They're see calling that. it a silver tsunami in real estate, but it's really all business, especially medium and, and small business, family business. There's, the, the, the owners are getting older and there's nobody coming behind them. Right. And we also see the second generation just isn't dad. Right. You know, they're, they're not the factory worker like dad was. Um, so we've seen, you know, we deal with second and third generation people. Some of the kids have done great and made the business way better than a father ever would have thought of. And some just can't wait to sell the building. There's a uh, Chinese proverb. The, the father starts the business, the son grows the business, and the grandson ruins the business. Many times it's true. There's a lot of stats on that, that their generation um, tanks the business. We, we, we've seen, unfortunately, many family fights because of business. We've seen brothers, you know, not talk to each other because they uh, can't agree on uh, the buildings they own and all that stuff. You get served sometimes? I need information or, or don't talk to this. Subpoenaed, partner. I guess that'd be, yeah. I, th- I think we only technically got served with a divorce case once, which, I mean... We know who's cheating on who because they have separate apartments, separate businesses, separate jewelry. So we, we had a client once who actually was still our client. The guy was very wealthy. He had all these great cars. But we knew he had a girlfriend because he had an apartment, had a business, had life insurance on her. But this guy put all, all of the jewelry on his homeowner's policy. Not that his <laughs> wife would ever notice. So I think we got um, called to just ask when he added the jewelry and that kind of stuff. And we don't know who it is. We don't care. Yeah. We don't have appraisals. Um, but we knew eventually he'd get caught. We, you just know eventually. You know, a big part of that insurance business is retention, right? You want people to, to be happy and stay with you. And right. Yeah, so we, we've had clients. I mean, our oldest client has probably been with us from day one. Um, he grew into a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar um, bearing manufacturer. He sold to a bigger company, but we still we still insure the buildings and his personal stuff. Um, we have plenty of kids and grandkids of, of people we started with. Um, like Joe mentioned, dry cleaners, actually laundromats. We have a national laundromat program. We um, got into laundromats probably 10 or 15 years ago. My partner, Larry, next door neighbor, uh, specialized in funded laundromats. Most small businesses, laundromats, can't go to the regular bank. The banks right. don't care. They don't, they don't see the vision. They don't see the plan. They don't see a hard work. Meanwhile, they're unbelievably profitable sometimes. Right. So, yes and no. Um, we have clients that own 20, 30 of them, and we do it all over the country. Um, and then we have the guy who's a hedge fund guy who's bored, let's buy a laundromat and make it an ATM machine, mm. those fail, you know, right. eight out of 10 times. Yep. Um, the guys who, it's a, it's a job. The guys who work them, they had to fix the machines, they had to hire employees, they do great. Um, but we see the the wealthy guys who just want to buy laundromats, they, it, it rarely works. It rarely okay. works because they don't actually think they have to work it or clean it or someone's going right. to call. They're, they're expecting absentee. Absentee, which which we know how the labor force is. And if you're not there, you you know, theft could be a problem. Yep. Um, machine maintenance is a big deal, obviously security and safety and locations, depending on where you are, um, in the five boroughs, you know, building owners that don't want laundromats in apartment buildings anymore because the noise and the attractive nuisance, and they can get way more money from a different type of retail. Um, so there's less of them in the city area, but on Long Island, there's some very, very large ones that are very lucrative. Um, and the numbers are crazy. Different towns have different problems, sewage, right? You know, uh, electricity, obviously, in the city, you pay for sewage in and out. So the machinery machinery manufacturers over the year have come up with very high-tech machines that have less output, use less water, right. less energy. So the guys that invest in the laundromats over time and redo them after the machines are old do much better than the guy that just has 30-year-old machines. I'm assuming with laundromats, though, from an insurance perspective, fire and flood? Uh, fire and trip and falls Okay, are the two big ones most fires happen two ways. You don't clean your vents. It can happen in your house too. Yep. And you, um, 
a lot of laundromats have commercial clients. So restaurant clients, gas stations, mechanics, oily clothes. Mm. If the machines are set too hot and the stuff is near too long, they can't combust. It happens. Mm. Wow. I would never thought of that. Yeah. That happens a lot. So trained employees are the best defense against fire. Um, the worst thing, you, you don't have to call that one unless you have to. It's a bad fire. If it's in one dryer, you know, you can contain it, shut it off, hit it with the fire extinguisher. It's good. Um, once you call the fire department, that your, thousand, your whole place is gone. That thirty five hundred dryer goes goes up to two hundred thousand dollars. Jeez, yeah, and that that's their job. That's Ten thousand gallons of water poured and through the roof. That's what they do. They wet everything. Yep. Um, the good news is with laundromats, the machinery is meant to get wet. So in a lot of claim situations, motors could be replaced. Mm. Machines can be cleaned. The whole machine doesn't necessarily have to be replaced. Um, but any other problem is like anything else today. Many people underinsured. You know, machines. They might have bought the machines ten years ago for twenty. Five hundred dollars. That machine right now is forty five hundred bucks. Right, if you can get it, that could be all businesses, right? So right. as businesses grow and they get more revenue and more, um, I guess, exposure, you, yeah. you constantly have to look at being underinsured. And yeah, well, well, in the last two years, everyone's underinsured. Your house, your business, everybody. The building costs shot up, and most people don't look at it after you know after. And then so most of the insurance companies now have cost estimators, and they're kind of running it on renewal for us. Um, and you're shocked sometimes at the cost of building. You know. When I started in this business, we you know it was fifty to one hundred dollars a square foot mm-hmm. all day long. You know now in New York, two fifty, three hundred to six hundred in the city. Right. Even the co-ops in the city, they they're talking a thousand now because of the mm. you can only you know you can only build between ten and two. You have to use a service right. elevator. Yeah, the costs just shoot up. Costs shoot up to build a laundromat right now, especially in the five boroughs. It's minimum of a year. It could be two years. We've yeah. had clients wait two years for water hookups, gas hookups. Do you see new ones coming up? There's new ones being built all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, people are still building, refurbishing. Um, a lot of people are trying to buy old ones and redo them. Yeah. Um, then you got the problem as well. There's a laundromat in this corner, so let's have one across the street. So, <laughs> well, so now we both have half the income. There's the hedge fund guy. Right. And then you have the other guys who are 100% off the books. They work the laundromat. They don't pay insurance. They don't pay labor. They don't pay taxes. So they can be a little cheaper. So you have the legitimate guys trying to battle those guys. That's always the case, isn't it? Right. It's, it's getting harder and harder because any good investigator or good banker can look at your electric bill. Right. And your water bill and tell you approximately what's going on. I remember when the diners all started getting hit by the IRS, it was because they knew, well, you did this much in credit card, you did no cash business, right. and they knew what percentage it should break down to. And then the pizza guys, it was how much flour you ordered. How many boxes. Right. Why, why you, you sold 1,000 boxes, where's 1,000 pizzas? Right. But so the laundromat says utilities. It's, you can't hide your utility costs. It's very, it's-, it's No, no, we're, uh, we're not, no, it's not the dryers, it's the, the marijuana farm. Right. So I- uh, right, and then I got the client. I'm open 24 hours. What's your payroll? Oh, twelve thousand dollars. Right. Oh, so fifteen dollars times forty hours. Are you hiding your taxes or right. are you uh, not paying employees? Right. Exactly. And then you have a claim. So business income is a big part of your business. You want right. to be able to stay in business if there's a fire. Business income will pay your rent, your mortgage, your utilities, your payroll. So I have a client who likes to cheat. Had a big fire. Hey, they don't want to give me my business income. Yeah, you well, didn't have any. You haven't well, made money in 20 based years. Based on your taxes. Yeah, 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 but I do this. I go, yeah, but you either pay tax or you have business income. Take, take it or leave it. And we have that conversation all the time because people right. just don't get it. You don't, you can't collect what you don't have. We have those situations as far as um, you know, business owners qualifying for mortgages where they will write off everything uh, so that we review the tax returns and we say, well, we can only use X amount of income. And they say, well, I make a lot more than that. And we say, you don't tell the IRS that, yep. um, but they want that cake and eat it too. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we have many clients, well, not many, but it's, it's gotten less. Most laundromats have gone to the card reader machines right. and Apple Pay um, because the people using the change receipt, if you're a bus stop somewhere 
and typically a laundromat is a neighborhood to where people use the buses. People come and use change, take the change right. out. So the change wouldn't be there for your customers. Mm-hmm. So they started with the cards. You buy the card for a dollar. So that's, you know, and people lose them. So they have to buy it again. Um, and the, the income has actually increased because, you know, when you're Apple paying, you use your credit card, you don't think about it. You just keep. How much is a toll right now to go over the Tappan Zee Bridge? I have no idea. Nobody knows. Who knows? It's whatever whatever my card gets it's charged when right. it hits the minimum. Right. I, I would have never even thought that you need change. You go into a laundromat. And you're not yep. you're not getting laundry done. You just get change. Machine. Yeah, change machines. If it's near a bus stop, it was always a problem for our laundromat owners. And you know the larger ones just they embraced it. You know the technology is better because not only not only do you have a card reader and you know it's less work taking coins out and dirty money and you have to store it and bring it to the bank. Right. And the bank's charged to convert it. They can control the machines from their phones. Right. You know, if they see a machine isn't running right, they can just shut it off. Mm. Or if there's a problem with it, you know, they can turn them on and off. It's it's very interesting. They can monitor the turns. They can actually see what's going on, and they can run their business better because they know maybe that machine's inefficient. What's wrong with it? So the, the technology has actually come a long way for, you know, a very simple thing, washing your clothes. So retention, Jared mentioned it a little while ago. With real estate, it's different, right? We close close uh, someone's sale. They buy something else. Okay, we're not going to see them again for seven to ten years. But we, we try to keep them in touch, trying to keep retention. You guys have renewals that automatically kind of sort of renews policies. But what are you doing for existing clients to make sure they don't go elsewhere? Okay, so we have a lot of um, emails that go out, uh, depending on if business and personal is different. So personal, when you buy a policy from us, if you need an employee handbook, you need um, tips on OSHA, um, employee training manuals. We have all sorts of materials that are geared to your business. Mm-hmm. So we, depending on the industry, you'll get a, either a quarterly or a monthly email from us with a different topic. Okay, laundromats have their own thing. Uh, you know, take care of your wet floors. Right. A lot of loss control, uh, safety prevention type of stuff because obviously the better your business, the less losses, the cheaper your rate. Right. Because, you know. Claims definitely affect your rates and availability yep. of insurance, especially right now in the market that we're in. Um, purse lines, you know, uh, emails on vent cleaning. Um, do you have a teenage driver? You know, what to do if you, you know, get divorced. There's all sorts of topics available that we uh, we constantly contact. And about three months before every move, we send out a questionnaire, anything changing in your business. Um, but many of our clients were, we seem to always be talking to for, you know, some reason or another. Um, people always have questions. Um, I would say we talk to half of our clients probably, you know, four times a year, if not more. Business insurance probably creates a lot more questions than homeowners. Right. Homeowners is kind of right. so business set it and forget right. it to a, to an extent. Correct. So business owners need things. They have insurance, depending on what you're right. doing. If you're a contractor, uh, someone who goes on to other buildings, you always need a certificate of insurance. So there's literally clients we speak to every day. Um, for one thing or another. A lot of them have to have additional Additional insurance, right, right. Um, and then, of course, I think we're lawyers. Can we sign this contract? Which we're, <laughs> which we're not. You know, the words on paper to me, I know what they mean, but I'm not a lawyer. Um, so, you know, I will read it. I'll look at it. But, you know, your lawyer can make the final decision. I can't, you know, it looks good to me, but I'm not a lawyer. So it's basically just staying in touch with your customers and your clients. Yeah, constant contact is definitely um, important for any business, um, especially in our business. And, you know, Things are changing. Things always change, especially with the building costs. We like to remind people to review the policies. Right. You got new jewelry. It's Christmas time coming up. You people, buy a new gift. people don't like. I've I've been at plenty of meetings with you where you're like, "Hey, let me look at your insurance policies." That's that's what we do. I'll tell you if you're good. I'm just going to tell you good. There's nothing I could do. Yep. People don't take you up on that offer because nobody wants to shop out insurance. It's not fun. It's fun going shopping for a new TV. It's it's work to shop for insurance. So once you get them, you almost have to piss them off to lose them, don't you? Um, so yeah, I mean, no, people do. And it shop. might not be you, but business owners definitely shop. Homeowners definitely shop. I mean, they're seeing commercials on TV all day long. Mm-hmm. So we're an independent agent. 
you know, God forbid Joe has a fire at his house. I'm going to be there an hour. I'm going to be there with you. Right. I'm going to bring my board up guy, my cleanup guy, people we trust. I'm going to make sure you don't sign anything. You're going to fight off the adjusters. I'm going to fight off the public adjusters, make sure the cockroaches aren't there on the sidewalk. And I'm going to help you through the situation. You know, you call an 800 number on TV. Okay, we'll send someone out in five days. Right. It's not the same. You're you're left to hang on your own. My wife got in an accident, I guess, eight months ago or something. And the insurance company pushed her, pushed her, pushed her to take photos and upload it into this thing. And from my understanding, you never do that. You want an actual adjuster to come take a look and see what you want to have it done at your body at your trusted body shop. Mm -hmm. You know, insurance company can't tell you what body shop to go to. Um, They try. They 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 try. They can suggest. Um, We go to our trusted body shop up the road up here, and you know, you can't see everything from a picture. There might be stuff underneath. You don't know until you take the car apart. Um, But a but a one eight hundred. Insurance company, they're looking out for their best interests. Yeah, there, there's a company out there right now called Lemonade. It's 100%, huh. it's 100% and I, I, coincidentally, I ended up in the founder's backyard in Israel. Go figure. Um, it's basically an algorithm. It's amazing, just a side note, how many successful, massive businesses come from Israel. First text message was sent from Israel. They ruined our life with text messages. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a very high-tech country. Tel Aviv is a very high-tech um, area. A lot of lot of money there, a lot of venture capital or private equity, whatever they call it these days. Um, Lemonade. So, so this guy's talking about how he's going to revolutionize. Oh, he's a big job guy, pro job. Let's let's create jobs. But then he's talking about Lemonade, this algorithm. It's meant to get rid of jobs. Right. So that's how these guys talk. But literally, he thinks that you're going to have a claim. You're going to send him pictures and send you a check. We know how much fraud there is in insurance, right? I mean, it's just ripe for fraud. Yeah. So with, with nobody looking at your car that you just hit, because, you know, maybe you were damaged three days before, and then you got hit again, and then right. you second accident. Um, so, yeah, the people, part of insurance, can't go away because it'll just be ripe with fraud, period. Pe- people need advice. You can't go online and buy insurance for your business. You have no idea what you need or what you're looking for. And that's every service industry. I mean, there's so many startup companies in the real estate world trying to, revol- you know, have a revolution of the industry and, and cut out real estate agents and save money and all this. And and every two years, those go to that business and new ones come. And yep. I think that's just the thing that's always going to be. It's it's uh, the stupidity of the corporate world sometimes is they're trying to remove the thing that makes the industry. What makes the real estate brokerage industry is the fact that you have amazing people who could sit there. I was, I was yesterday, I had a closing with Ginny. Ginny's lived in that house her entire life. She's an older woman now going to a, a, you know, 62 and over co-op. And she's been in a full panic mode for the last two months and working her through that, that 1-800 number wasn't going to work it through that. And then when somebody had to go and sit with a dog while the handyman put in a handrail, 1-800, whatever, wasn't going to go sit at this woman's house and watch her dog for 20 minutes. Uh, which is a good way to work if that's if you're going to call that work. Think about flying a plane. You can absolutely have a pilot sit in a desk and fly a plane with three, four hundred passengers. Do you think one of those passengers would get on that plane without the pilot being in the cockpit? The, the government flies pretty large drones remotely. But would without you go people? on that plane? Of course not. I no, I, I want a human being. I don't even want to go on the air train without a person driving. Like, the we want. Train. I, I don't like that air train yeah. for that reason. But I want Captain Sully in the cockpit. There you go. And he could be asleep for ninety nine percent of that flight, and I'll be fine with the fact that autopilot's going to even land it, take off the whole thing. But he has the ability to but shut when, it down if he when you hit wanna... that. When you hit that bird, I want Captain Sully to get yep. you, get you, land you in the Hudson or whatever exactly. it is. So at the end of the day, there's there needs to be a person that's that's. We see that with real estate, right? Like, yo, we have lawyers. What do we need realtors? And some 
lawyers, not all of them, <clears throat> love to hate on the realtor. Uh, they, they just charge a big commission. I could do everything. And then when the deal starts going sideways and they need somebody to negotiate some pretty difficult things. Blame or, the realtor. Or, or go to the house and deal with the fact that a pipe burst uh, last night when it was 30 to, you know degrees. Who's going to go fix all that? Your lawyer's not doing it for the 1250 flat fee he's charging you for your purchase. You can't even pay him for the hour because it's not in his skill base. So all of a sudden we become super important because you need one person who's in has a hundred percent ownership of the issue. It's not my fault. The woman forgot to get a handrail put in. It's not my fault. The dog needed to be watched. Or they'd run out the side door. It wasn't my fault. The, the buyer's bank was in Manhattan. They had a drive from Manhattan. It showed up at a four, three o'clock closing at six o'clock at night. None of that was my fault, but my God, was it my responsibility to get taken care of? Right. Yeah, so I bought my house back in 93. There was no Zillow, no internet, no, you know, online. The realtors used to print out, you know, one picture just right. to show you the front of the house. We'd have to drive to every house. Uh, you had no details about when you got there. So I felt bad back then because we probably looked at 100 houses between Setauket to, uh, to Comac. You had to. Cause, cause, right, we had to. We just wanted a ranch. We Half were, of them you pulled up and went, nope, not interested. Oh, but it had potential. You should look at it. Um, <laughs> you o- o- We've already the, driven all this way. O- overlooked the pink wallpaper and the, and the you know, tie-dye carpet, which actually I would like now. Um, yeah, so there was a, definitely a house I didn't get out. We were only wanted ranches. My wife and I we grew up in a ranch. That's all we wanted. So we literally looked at every ranch. So we probably over a year, we looked with a lot with this woman, some other people. And then she drove down this block in Smithtown, an area we didn't even know. And there was a for sale by owner sign. And that's the house we've been in for 32 years. <laughs> lucky, lucky agent. <laughs> you know, it was easier for agents back then because the differentiation was I have a printer that can print the one picture. Right. <clears throat> now we do a lot more. And right. back then, I mean, when there was one picture, our industry had these things called broker open houses. So all these brokers would go before the open house to preview it to actually see if it would work for their clients or not. Um, now, I mean, there's 20 photos, there's virtual tours, there's right. this, that, and the other thing. Uh, so you get a pretty good idea of what house you're walking into. Yeah, back back then when I bought my house, I mean, we it was nothing. I mean, I, when I bought a condo in Florida, we actually bought it off pictures because we knew the area, we knew the development, there was right. no reason to see the place. So, so your second home, and it's a condo, so your fear of something not quite being right is a lot lower. So this was in 2014. My wife said, are we crazy buying a second house? We have a kid going to college. And I looked at her. I said, Lee, worst case scenario. They were giving them away. Last case scenario was your break even. And that was, you know, 150% ago. 2010 to 2013. You were, you were at the tail end of it. They were given, they, like, 100,000 got you a three-bedroom condo with a boat slip. Yeah, Florida was on 120, sale. 120,000, 1,600 square foot, gated community. So my voice is all whacked out. I feel the need to tell everybody why. Friday we were out at the wineries. Uh Spent a good amount of time over at Lieb over there, and I don't know where that is, just outside of Mattituck, and uh, Northville maybe. And it was cold out, so between the inside with the nice red wine and then outside cold, and then Sunday, my son, my oldest, had his football game, his last football game of the season, which they called the Super Bowl, but, you know, it was was a a pretty small bracket. And uh, so I'm having some trouble with the voice all of a sudden talking. How great is the East End of Long Island? Our wineries, I mean, our beaches, our farms out there. And it's ironic when you ask someone on Long Island, you know, about Montauk, they've never been there. People in Long Island don't realize we live on an island. Correct. Absolutely. They they, They don't go to the beaches. They don't know it's there. They don't head out to the East End. They're missing out by just, you know, being in their own little neighborhood taking the train or, or the drive into the back to the city to, to go to their yeah. restaurants and stuff. Well, but the, the North Fork is my favorite. I like awesome. it way better than the South Fork. 100%. So we talk about Bronco. Uh, I got the soft top. So 
my wife, every time she has to go to a court appearance, she's an attorney in Riverhead. Uh, it was like three or four times this summer. It's a good thing you said she's an attorney or it sounds like a different story. Well, I did a video about this and, I, and yeah, I said she had to go to court and it sounded different. So anyway, <laughs> she's an attorney. So I think three or four times over the summer, I would drive her out there. It was a quick appearance, maybe a half hour to an hour. At that time, I would just go get lost. And um, when she got done, we went to the East End and, and hung out, hit a couple of beaches, hit some wineries, and, and it's it's beautiful it's out beautiful. there. Beautiful. People, yeah, I mean, you can just stop at any winery, any wine, or a cheese store out there and just hit a beach somewhere. Yeah. Plenty and of it, places. And it's back to that where you could stop. So a couple, for the last few years, you needed a reservation, which was kind of annoying. But now most oh, of the wineries. Them, yeah, now you could just walk in. We went to a new one. Lieb is my favorite out there. I love their Cobb Franc, you know, super bold. But we tried a new one. Uh, it's the old Laurel Lake Vineyard or, or Laurel whatever. It's uh, Evan M. Pretty good wine. Super cool tasting room, which is part of the experience, right? You want to be sitting somewhere nice. And this time of year, you want to find a place that has a nice indoors because it's cold out. And we got some great, you know, very good wine. Uh, great, great time. And then hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes back to uh, to Farmingdale to do a press conference. I did it back in time for small <laughs> business season. There you go. There's also the uh, the breweries, the Jamesport Brewery, Farm Brewery is fantastic. Big outdoor area, they have bands in the summer. I'm yet to go there, but every time I pass yeah. it, I say how cool great. it Great, that's a great place. The, the cider place Remember is really, cider house is yeah, fun. really yep. good, too. They got yep. the, the, the guacamole cart. Guacamole cart, they do the pizzas, but what's nice about that is it's a huge space, so your kids could, you know, you don't have to be on top of your And they kids. got the indoor Way space with the, uh, a lot of times, a play, guy playing acoustic yeah. guitar or a girl. Yep. Yeah. I just wish I liked cider better. I mean, it's okay, but a lot of sugar, very sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many non-wine beverages now, all these yeah, seltzers, all yeah. these crazy drinks. Um, a lot of these wineries are, are having draft beer, too, local draft beer. Well, they have to, because I don't drink. I'm allergic to sulfite, so I can't drink wine. Yeah. So I'm usually the driver anyway. But, um, yeah, I want to have a great craft beer. There's so many great right. craft beers. I mean, it's my I'll go out with you if you're the tough. driver. <laughs> I mean, my, my favorite is Greenport. Pile in the Bronco. Greenport is one of my favorites. They have a huge indoor outdoor area. They have yes. bands in the summer. It's, yeah. And it's yep. packed out there. It's great. The beer is good. You could go um, look at the little jail from 18-whatever. Well, that's the original one. That's the original one. He's about the new one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, which isn't actually in Greenport. It's closer to uh, Mattituck or Jamesport. Okay. Jamesport. And then you have Mont- Montauk Brewing Company, which is actually just bought by a company called Tilray. Yeah, which, pot company. Which is a cannabis company, right? Mm. So that they, was, see, they see the pot sales are maybe sluggish, so they want to diversify into beer. Well, there's a lot of collaborations. There's a lot of collaborations, and, and the, the wine soil, from what I understand, is the exact soil you need for cannabis. Mm. So out in Napa Valley, it was a problem because they were losing wine grapes to cannabis because cannabis is more popular than wine grapes um so i, I know out east here too uh, there's been some companies that have bought up a bunch of land for uh, for cannabis growing and up in buffalo somebody bought thousands and thousands of acres of land to build greenhouses. just like all things i feel like that's going to flood the market there's going to be too much supply a lot of guys are going to lose a lot of money a few guys are going to make a lot yeah or guess. well eventually the uh corporates are going to get into it the state is trying to make it super expensive and super hard for the corporates to get in um because there's a lot of national chains of mm-hmm. you know medmen and Places when you travel to these other legal states, it's just it's like a candy shop on the corner. There was a place on the on the throughway uh, up by Kingston that had planted two fields of cannabis, and then they they haven't planted it since. It was a one season thing. I don't know if they were trying to jump the market, and it took longer to become legal. But I'm curious to see what happens on the side of the throughway over there. They have this, the irrigation in. But it's all outdoor, which I always thought they did indoor for, for legal pot. Indoor is more controllable because if you're having it in a store and medical, it has to be the exact same thing right. every time. 
So outdoor, obviously, one little virus, one little bug can, can kill you. And up problem. in Kingston, it could have been even like one of those Woodstock places was just growing hemp and and uh, making you know right. There is there is a lot of hemp. There's a lot of hemp producers upstate, um, and those are the guys who kind of took the lead on all these councils to tell people about it, right? And the growth of it, stuff like that. I've sat in a couple of insurance cannabis things. I, I mean, it's no different than a retail store. Um, some insurance companies are embracing it. Travelers is definitely embracing it, but some are excluding any you know claims or damages from anything to do with pot. Right, um, I, I think they're more worried because it's not federally approved. That that's the scary thing is is the federal government could come in and say, "Wait, you're you're helping people do something illegal federally." Well, so. they're, they're not now. Maybe January first. Right, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's you know, I mean, everyone has different theories on it. Whether it's a gateway drug, it's not a gateway drug. But I mean, reality is, everyone's not everyone, but we know tons of people. Whether you like it or not, it's a fact of life. It's a fact of life. I mean, we know people that have smoked it all the time. There's definitely medical uses for it. Definitely helps MS patients, cancer patients. I have a friend with cancer, refused to take Oxycontin because of its effects. Um, but his wife figured out how to get the pot into his feeding tube, and it helped him with the pain. Oh, wow. Yeah. A- anyone who has no issue with alcohol but has an issue with and cigarettes And cigarettes. Uh, and Oxycontin. I just wish it what, It didn't stink so much. I mean, everywhere you me. go, you're, you're, you're on the it. road, you're driving down Southern yeah. State, and the car in front of you is getting hot. Yeah, so, it stinks. So some I really don't want to smell it. So some people are like the smell of it, and you, you can actually tell the type of pot by the smell of it. Yeah, so go to a place where they allow it. But I, it drives me nuts walking down the street. Yeah, it smells all the time now. I agree with you. The that, city, that, we were in the city. Everywhere you go, it's just I, it smells like I pot. Work down a well, which is an improvement. But, you've been driving yeah. on the uh, Long Island uh, Long Island Expressway. Yeah, it's it, passing it's, cars. You smell it. Tons of it. I, I worked down on Wall Street in the um, early '90s, and even back then, you walked around and you smelled it out of every alley at lunchtime. Right. Were you insur- insurance when you were doing that? Or? Yeah, I worked for a small company called AIG back then. <laughs> small. So you you went from the big the big corporate world to you know, small boutique firm, what's, uh, what's maybe a lesson? What, what could one learn from the other? Um, I'm definitely experienced because working for big firms, big firms, I worked at a college at Aetna Life and Casualty, which is now Travelers, and the training was invaluable. Mm. Um, it was a year of training, learning how to underwrite. Back then, learning how to rate, you know, computers weren't so much back then, so you can actually rate a policy. Um, it was, you know, literally a floor of women typing policies and endorsements. Wow. Um, all been replaced by computers and they trained you, they trained you how to, you know, look at the exposures, you know, you know, I sit down here, I'm looking at your wood joist and, you know, <laughs> the old building. Um, oh, you gave it away that we don't have a finished, uh, it doesn't matter. It's beautiful. This is, I love, uh, I love open industrial. It's great. But you know, when you walk into a restaurant, you look for sprinklers, you just look right. for stuff now. Right, it's just right. habit, just habit. Um, what, what was the movie about that? The guy couldn't do anything without kind of figuring out what his risks was. Ben Stiller was the, uh, his insurance agent. Yeah, it was an yeah. insurance agent, but it's just habit. It becomes habit. Um, but they trained you, uh, you know, they trained you how to, you know, un- underwrite, which is now done by computer. Unfortunately, small business always does a terrible job of recruiting talent into an industry and training them. Right. It's just right, not in right. their wheelhouse. So I don't, back then, um, at especially was very big on training. They had the Aetna Institute for Corporate Training up in Connecticut. So after about eight months of training in the field, we spent six weeks up in Hartford in mm. intense training school. Oh, wow. And being in the Garden City branch, which was number one or two of the country, you had to come back in the top three or else you might as well just go find right. another job. So everyone went up there to Hartford. We were trained already when we got there. So, you know, you went skiing and you did stuff at night. You didn't have to study. There's a gym. You had fun. You know, you were, at, you were, you know, you were living there for six weeks. Right. Um, so I'd go skiing every weekend. Pick Lee up at the ferry. We go somewhere. Um, everyone, you know, from the other rest of the country, would be like, well, don't you guys have to? We have a big test tomorrow. I'm like, you've been doing this for eight months. How do you not know this already? Right. You know, they were like waiting for that, and they were shocked when we got hundreds and all the tests because we were trained when we got there. And Aetna was very, very big on that. 
So I went from Aetna, which was, um, you know, Main Street have a business, a lot of contracting back then, to AIG. AIG was a global international company. Right. So I went, you know, from working on, you know, mom and pop stores and stuff like that to, you know, Princess Cruise Lines. Is, so, a, is the reason AIG was that big, is that the reason why Connecticut is kind of a hub for insurance? Were they the... The, the big one that kind of everyone... Har- well, Harford and Travelers were always in Connecticut. Um, they just were. I don't know why. Um, they still kind of are. Not as much as not many people as used to be. Right. Um, but, you know, downtown Harford was, you know, Harford Insurance and, and Aetna at the time. It was like an insurance hub. Yeah, it was totally insurance hub. I mean, the bars, you knew which bar you went to, where the insurance people were. It was, it was totally insurance. Um, but back then, it was also big home offices. Right. So if you're under, I didn't have authority, you had to call the guy in home office because, you know, he was smarter than you um, to get approval. Um, so there's, you know, and there's millions of, you know, we just think of home and car and life insurance, but there's tons of other types of insurance. We get to hear about the, uh, you know, model who insures, uh, her body or right. something that that's always interesting. A lot of those weird policies you hear Lloyd's of London right. on the road, you know, but think about a company like, you know, mobile, you know, there's, you know, an insurance company that handles mobile, whichever one it is, but they might have 10 underwriters that just work on that account all day long right. and nothing else. When I worked for Aetna, there was a very big agency on Long Island who's no longer around. There was four underwriters that just worked in that agency's right. business because they were big enough. And I mean, that's before computers, so everything was done by hand. Back very then. manual. Yeah, but, you know, we just think of home and life. But, you know, when I worked for AIG, you know, I worked on, you know, y- uh, Yoohoo and, you know, tire hmm. companies. I guess so you have inventory, you have different levels right. of inventory. And, different- and foreign companies that come to the U.S. that didn't just buy a policy, you know, they just needed U.S. paper to work for New York City. So we literally write a million-dollar policy with a million-dollar deductible <laughs> wow. and then charge them for claim service and handling, but they needed to be in the U.S., and they were willing to do that. And AIG was very successful because it did everything that the other That's amazing. I'll want. sell you this document for how much. That's what they want. That was their choice. They, yep. you know, these companies had first managers. They knew what they were doing. They were yep. definitely smarter than us. Um, but AIG became so big back then because it was global. It was one of the few insurance companies that was truly a global company. It was very big in Asia at the time and very big in Europe with the manufacturing and very involved with the U.S. government for being able to do things in foreign countries um, kind of for the government, backing the government insurance-wise with different things with nobody knowing what was happening. Right. Um, so if you read the Hank Greenberg story of AIG, it, it's actually a history of insurance and kind of how our government did things back in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s um, that were much different than they are now because back then it was all field work. It wasn't all right. spies and technology and right. you know, eavesdropping on the internet. People actually had to be, you know, there to, to do things. So it's, it's actually very interesting. So we talked about the North Fork. We talked about uh, different different places. We always like to kind of end the podcast with something local that stood out to you recently. So over the last uh, week or two, what has stood out for you over the you know here here in Farmingdale or in the surrounding area? Um, well, we moved to Farmingdale seven or eight years ago, and just over the last seven to eight years, you know, the evolution of Farmingdale is just amazing. You know, especially the Main Street area. I mean. 110 is constant building. I live in Kings Park, which is still like the 1800s. Um, and compared to Farmingdale, which is very progressive, you want people living in town. You have a train station. It's a very similar, you know, makeup, right. very similar demographic, um, except the people here want to do that stuff. And in Kings Park, they don't, they don't want to change at all. Right. Um, we have sewers allegedly coming to Kings Park. I've been here now for 30 years, and that's going to change, you know, the world. Right. Um, but there's still the older generation of people out there who don't think anything should change. They don't, they don't, see the 1800s facades like we do. Um, and, they're, and they're afraid of outsiders. That's the big mm-hmm. thing. What if people come in from outside? Like, okay, that's how we grow. And, you know, I'm lucky where I live in Kings Park, Smithtown. We have 
thousands of acres of state parks. Right. You know, Sunken Meadow State Park is you know practically my You're backyard. You're always going to have that open space yeah, there. Yeah, Nisquark River is my backyard, you know, Nisquark River State Park. So, you know, during COVID especially, it was fantastic because we had tons of open space to walk around and hang out. Um, but, uh, you know, and I always say the only problem with Long Island is the property taxes. Mm-hmm. Take the property taxes out of Long Island, we have almost the perfect place. We have, you know, retail, we've got the best education in the world. Um, Big business here, plenty of jobs, public transportation. We, we talk about that at the Long Island Board of Realtors, and you always have some old-timers. The biggest thing we need to fight against is high property tax. And I said, well, how many houses go unsold every year? None of them. That's not the biggest problem we have as an industry. It's a problem, but it's not the biggest problem in our industry. Right. So, I mean, and you, yeah, when you hear people fleeing, everyone's fleeing Long Island. Fleeing, and I always say, where are they all bought at houses? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I can't find any. They're fleeing Long Island because it's gotten too expensive because so many people live here right. and want to stay. There's a guy out in Smithtown that has a big old house <laughs> that he spent a lot of money fixing. He had burnt down, and um, he was illegally Airbnb-ing it. And his excuse <laughs> was, I have to pay my property taxes. So you didn't answer the question. What's your favorite restaurant recently, or, or where you like? Where have you liked eating over the last no, couple of um, weeks? It's hard to say. There's so many good restaurants in Long Island. I mean, in Farmingdale, I love Vesper. I love 317. Um, Tell us about the pizza place. I know you like that place. Most people probably don't even realize it's open. Which one? Mark Bynum. Oh, the pie hole. So Mark Bynum is a Farmingdale um, resident, grew up here. Uh, Great chef. He's been on the Food Network, owned a great restaurant called Hush Mm -hmm. on Main Street in Farmingdale. Makes the best ribs. I think they were on Oprah's, in Oprah's magazine. Fantastic. Um, But he uh, unfortunately had a bad business deal, lost Hush, blah, blah, blah. So we just recently opened up. The Pie Hall, the pizzeria down on Main Street, um, the former Red Velpe and whatever else, next to Ralph's Ices. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's into his ingredients, he's into fresh, he's into different stuff, and it's just the sauce is Caribbean good. pizza. And, yeah, and, just uh, all, all sorts of, di- he's just bringing all of his food knowledge into Taking into all that pizza. super foody stuff, chopping right. it up and, and using it's his just, Yeah, it's, it's just really good pizzeria, so definitely check it out. All right. Jared, what, what have you tried over the last week or so? You know, I need to... Since we're doing this podcast, I need to go outside of my comfort zone and go to some new places because I seem to find my three or four and and just run it indefinitely. So you I know, know the question's coming too. So all right, I'll come back to you. So I I just on uh, Saturday night we had a bunch of friends over with their kids. Kids all went in the other room, played. We we drank some wine, hung out. Uh, also part of my voice, I guess. Pete the Greek. I love Grecian yes. Grill here in Farmingdale, but Pete the Greek and Beth Page does a family meal. For like 75 bucks or 80 bucks, they say it feeds four. So we got two of them. We had almost half the food left over. We could have got, you know, the, the six adults and all the kids enough food for 80 bucks probably. And uh, food was delicious. Salad, chicken, gyro, um, all the dips and, and some lemon potatoes are really good. So definitely like Pete the Greek. And uh, the other thing, went to the movies recently, took the kids to see Black Panther. I didn't love the movie. But the uh, my little guy uh, snuggled up with me. He was kind of bored, and then he kept asking me every couple minutes, when's Black Panther going to be in it? It's like, I, I don't know. He died, so I'm not sure what happens here. And, like, the last 20 minutes is a new Black Panther. But UA and Farmingdale, super clean. Floors weren't sticky. Sat down, nice big leather recliners. My son was able to sit, actually, in my recliner with me. And I'm not a little guy, so, you know, nice, nice big recliner. So... Go check out a movie. It was, it was fun getting back into a movie theater. My, my wife and I just recently saw that new the George Clooney, uh, Julia Roberts movie. Mm. I couldn't tell you the name of it, but it was actually hysterical. It was a great movie. Nice. That was the first time we were in the theater since before COVID, I guess two, three years. 
Also, big recliner seats. It's tough not to fall asleep in those. They're so comfortable. I could have, especially because the movie I thought was kind of boring. My, my oldest loved it. He likes, uh, you know, superhero movies and comedy. Yeah, Pizza Greek also has a location on Hot Box. We, uh, we actually right. take out from there quite often. I wish their soup was better. Uh, the, the the Greek lemon soup, I like it super tangy and super lemony. Theirs is a little more muted. My favorite soup at a place like that, the Turkish restaurant in San Reach called Istanbul 2. They have a sp- chicken spinach soup. Mm. One of the best soups I've ever had. Have it all, all the right. time. Jared, did you think of anything? Um, what are you going to get for lunch today? Arby's opened up on 110, Jared. Arby's. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I'll give a shout-out. If, if people like fish and chips, the best fish and chips in Long Island, in my opinion, is at the Good Life in Massapequa Park on Park Boulevard. They got great beers. Um, I know the owners. They're great people. So shout-out to the Good Life. All right. Well, that's uh, those Real Estate Brothers podcast. Thanks, Joel, so much for coming down. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to Those Real Estate Brothers with Joseph and Jared. Subscribe now to get updates on future episodes and please share it with others. Want to connect? Message us on Google, Facebook, Instagram, or text. We'll see you next time. And remember to always work hard and be nice.